Sexy, everything about me so. show the only nfl podcast you're going to listen to this week which isn't sponsored by a one-day fancy sports site that's because we're in association with sports travel tours so excited we're going to have some tour news coming up next week can't wait for that and week six is so exciting there's so many great games this weekend we're going to speak with a bengals legend and we're going to preview all of the games will and ollie in the studio can't wait for this one this is the gridiron show I wonder to myself, Ollie, how much preparation people think we put into this show. Lots. Obviously. Uh, definitely just the last ten minutes sat here. <laughs> just quickly checking, is there any news? Have we got any questions on Twitter? Uh, um, no, we've got... I, I think that this week we just kind of wanted to come on and talk about the Week 6 games. We've got a great interview coming up with uh, Dave Lapham. You may have heard him on the old show last year. Bengals legend, played in the line there for eight years. Now colour commentator for the Bengals radio network. Really, really fascinating chat with him. We intended to speak to him for like eight or nine minutes. Yeah. And he ended up being on the phone with us for nearly 20 minutes. Because he just had so much in insight into both the team now with the game this weekend everything so that's coming up and it's a really great chat even if you're not a Bengals fan and let's be honest if you're not a Bengals fan right now you're not a football fan yeah that is utterly utterly true because the Bengals are being brilliant at the moment I was so energized after that chat and uh, I don't even I don't, I don't support the Bengals it was great it was we, great we didn't watch the games together on Sunday but I had a few friends around Adam Farkson who was on the show last year Jamie Cuttridge also on the show last year we had a multi-screen setup. we had beers in it was a really good uh, way to watch the games but at half time of the early games I was deflated there were t- the teams I wanted to win weren't winning. You're a Patriots fan. Uh, I was. Yeah, <laughs> well done. Good. Uh, is there any time that's mentioned from now on for the history of time? <laughs> yeah. um, I uh, was doing badly in fantasy. I just all in all, I was having a bit of a bad week. And sometimes with this sport, you're just going to you're just tearing your hair out in frustration that it's not going the way you want it to go. And the Bengals just single-handedly. I mean, it was so many great games last weekend, but the Bengals' turnaround against uh, against the Seahawks single-handedly turned my weekend around. And so, uh, yeah, I, I loved speaking to Dave and that becoming up in a very short while. And get ready for one of the greatest stats that you'll ever hear. And it came, it came from Dave in that interview. It's brilliant. I don't know which stat you're referring to. You know, the one about the turnaround? Uh, okay, well, let's, let's see. Uh, I, I genuinely don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I'll tell you off there. Yeah. Yes, that is a great stat. Good shout, Ollie Hunter. Uh, right, we've uh, we've got all that coming up as well. We're going to preview these week six games just to just to give you an idea of what these week six games look like. We've got, uh, I, I genuinely, in fact, we're going to go through them one by one. But I don't think there's a bad game this weekend, and the Bears are playing the Lions. <laughs> Whoa, that's that's one hell of a call. That like even that game with a backup quarterback with Jay Cutler with all the ugly football those two teams are playing, I think because it's two bad teams playing each other will be competitive and exciting, a la 
uh, Bucks Jags last week. Texans are playing the Jags. Similar sort of situation. Yeah. I, I think there's some great games. Before we get on to all the uh, all the football, is there anything you want to talk about from this week, Ollie? Is there anything you need to get off your chest from the last few days? Do you need to use this opportunity, almost like a therapy session, to tell me your woes, feelings, excitements, and hopes for the world? No, we've just had a Chilean meal with your lovely wife, and I did it then, so I'm all good. Good. Fantastic. How about you? It was a very good meal. I'd recommend go to Rika Rika if you live in London, but tomorrow is its last day. Uh, it's a pop-up place that's been open over the summer, and it's just phenomenal. We've oh. eaten there like four times in the last few months, and I love it there. And, uh, well, follow them on Twitter. You'll see I've been tweeting them, at Rika Rika. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they're just brilliant. The food was amazing. Yeah, I'm really well. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, don't, I have no complaints. I'm very, I'm feeling a bit better. The chest cold's gone. Uh, I'm not going to be coughing in your face constantly and no, then having to goodness. edit out all of those coughs. Are you annoyed that you're missing The Apprentice? I, well, do you know what? It's on now as we're recording now. But that doesn't matter because I will finish recording, have 45 minutes before I start work. So watch the bulk of The Apprentice sure, and then sure. finish it off when I get home tomorrow morning. Uh, I yeah, I've obviously got to do a little recording in the morning. We're recording this on Thursday night. We've got Thursday night football, so we're going to do a little review of that in just a moment. Um, but yeah, I, The Apprentice is the one reality TV show that I love watching. They're all terrible human beings, all of them. There, there are probably there are two people I liked. One from each team. Uh, there was the woman with the really kind of manly face. I mean that in the nicest way possible. But the blonde woman who just every time they tried to do, like when they were negotiating but not really negotiating at the fish market, she was going, shouldn't we ask for another price elsewhere? No? Okay. And she just seemed very sensible and very level. And there was a similar guy on the blokes team who just seemed to be like, you know, they seemed to have good business minds yeah, and yeah. know what they were doing. And that's so rare when it's basically a bunch of idiots. They are all technically idiots. Do you like the American um, Donald Trump celebrity version i've not seen it in years but i used to quite like it's good it. it's have you good. have you heard who's taking over from donald trump now he's running for president no let's just say that in a task i don't know how to best feed this in but you might hear the phrase get to the chopper no arnie is hosting the u.s apprentice next year i will definitely be watching that's that incredible yeah so that was a terrible arnie impression by the way i just want to get that out there hey lynn did you do it <laughs> No one will ever understand that story, and yet it's so horrible. I'll tell you what, we've got a Wembley game in a week's time, and somebody did tweet us in asking, uh, James Kemp asked, where are we going to watch the Jets beat the Pats after the Wembley game next weekend? James Kemp, I imagine that we'll be going to the Hippodrome again, although it was rammed last time. We struggled to get in. I mean, we snuck in up the back stairs because we cheated, but um, you had to queue to get in, which was nuts. So maybe we'll look at somewhere else. But, uh, yeah, uh, we will... we meet up, and if you see Ollie, and Ollie met up with a few of our, our listeners at the last game, or bumped into a few, um, and thank you to those who did come up and speak to Ollie and mm-hmm. give him some love. And Cheers, I know guys. Adam and Cal were two of the guys who regularly tweet us. It was it's lovely to hear some really nice feedback from you. But come up and ask Ollie for his Arnold Schwarzenegger story because it is incredible and one hundred percent true. Oh, it's amazing! It's amazing. Anyway, let's move on and talk about the week six games then, and we'll kick things off by talking about the game. In New Orleans, Narlins, 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 Narlins. I, I, I've made it sound like I'm from the Southwest. That's that's the problem there. Narlins, Narlins. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what. Talking of Southwest and uh, <laughs> and accents and stuff, I've I've just finished watching the Detectorists. I do not know what that is. The Detectorists is a BBC Four. Um, You've lost me. Written by no, no, no. It's a comedy series written by Mackenzie Crook about metal detectorists. 
uh, in this Essex village, and they're that trying to find very gold. BBC Four. It's incredible. If you like things like Time Team or or stuff like that, see if you can find it on iPlayer. It's so well written and so funny. I, I watched it on the second time round. I think it's already been out two or three times before, but it's it's brilliant. Mackenzie Crook, um, Toby Jones. Lucy Benjamin, <laughs> but it's so, right. It's just brilliant. Honestly, you'll love it. Okay, thanks for the recommendation, Ollie. Could have saved that for the end. Instead, let's go on to my Thursday night review as the five and zero Atlanta Falcons travel to face the one and four Narling Saints. Uh, New Orleans gave us a little bit of hope two weeks ago. They might bring it together, and then they were terrible against the Eagles last week. The Falcons have faced, let's be honest, pretty low quality of opponents, but they could go six and zero tonight. It's a classic trap game. I still fancy the Falcons to do it. I pick them in gridiron's predictor game go to gridiron-magazine.com and go to the predictor game make your predictions on there you win weekly prizes and there'll be a season long prize on there as well we updated you on our rankings earlier in the week and we'll keep doing that as the season goes on i've taken the falcons there who have you taken ollie i've just changed it after seeing some of the rushing stats rushing allowed new orleans to the third worst uh the atlanta falcons are the f- sixth best at rushing Devonta Freeman I've uh, changed from these Saints to the Falcons especially after we know that um, Julio Jones may be in and will be playing some part in the game so Falcons for me tell me that's what happened Will Gavin in the future Well, we were all expecting it to come over the weekend. Maybe it was going to happen in Buffalo to the Bengals. Maybe it was going to happen in Seattle to the Panthers. But instead, it happens tonight on Thursday night football. The overwhelming favourite Atlanta Falcons travel to see the New Orleans Saints in division and lose. Drew Brees passed for 312 yards. Ben Watson racked up a career-high 127 yards receiving and a fourth down touchdown catch as the New Orleans Saints handed the Falcons their first loss of the season with a 31-21 victory. Last night, desperate for a victory, the Saints 2-4 and four now enjoyed big plays in every single phase. Michael Marty, who of course his father played for the Saints, blocked a punt and recovered it for a touchdown, delighting the home crowd with a play that was reminiscent of Steve uh, Gleason's famous block against Atlanta in 2006. Gleason and himself there to receive the George Hallis Award and tweeted out, uh, Atlanta, just never bother punting. Very funny stuff. Mark Ingram ran in two short touchdowns and the New Orleans defence recovered three fumbles from Matt Ryan, two inside its own 20. Uh, um, well, let's talk about the Falcons first of all. Then It just simply wasn't their night. Matt, Rum- Matt Ryan fumbled upon brushing his fullback shoulder prior to the opening drive handoff. Fill-in centre James Stone lost another fumble when his shotgun snap hit his own leg. I say leg, that's being generous, it was his balls. On top of that, two unforced errors. Uh, on top of those two unforced errors, rookie tailback Tevin Coleman coughed up the ball in the red zone. They had that blocked punt return for a touchdown. Honestly, the Falcons will have felt like they had the opportunities to win this game and just couldn't put it together. Devontae Freeman, a lone bright spot for Atlanta, scoring his 10th, 9th and 10th touchdowns of the season in just six games. Uh, for comparison, DeMarco Murray rushed for just 13 touchdowns in 16 games last year, the offensive player of the year. Uh, his physicality, his speed, all uh, just on site, he's been absolutely sublime this year. Uh, his decisiveness to hit the right holes were absolutely brilliant. Uh, I, I saw a fantastic stat that the Falcons had only had 100-yard rushing performance under Mike Smith and Dirk Cutter over the past two seasons. Freeman has three in his past four games. We've given Kyle Shanahan a lot of praise, but that blocking scheme that he played, that zone-blocking scheme that he played in, in Houston and in Washington and Cleveland, now in Atlanta, really does make the difference to to their rushing attack and I do expect them to bounce back the Falcons considering they've got one of the sh- the 
easiest runs on the way to the playoffs. I nearly said to the Super Bowl then. Obviously, no one has an easy run to the Super Bowl. But after this game, they go to the Titans, home to the Bucks, to the 49ers, home to the Colts, Vikings, then the Bucks. Jags. In fact, the only team who have got winning records left, and we said this on Monday, in their entire schedule are the Panthers, who they face in both weeks 14 and 16. So you still expect them to go do well. You still expect them to have a good chance of winning this NFC South, depending on what the Panthers do, especially this weekend against the Seahawks. But all in all, a disappointing night for the people of Atlanta. For the Saints, lots of positives. Drew Brees, absolutely unbelievable. Uh, completed 77% of his passes on 39 attempts. Uh, we spoke, uh, mentioned Ben Watson already. He had a ridiculous night, 127 yards plus that touchdown. His season total now stands at 266 yards, a full 62 more than Jimmy Graham, the three-time Pro Bowler who he's replaced there in uh, in New Orleans. So he's having, he had a great time. What they did very simply, Desmond Trufant and Robert Alford, who, Alford, sorry, who we have a lot of time for, were tying up the wideouts. Uh, so they just tested the linebackers, tested the safeties, went short over the middle. Uh, found CJ Spiller quite a few times, even though it was all very short yardage, but there was one particular drive where they found him again and again and again, and that eventually led to the Ben Watson touchdown so all in all they'll be pleased with that Willie Sneed had another brilliant game in this one uh, he the Brandon Cooks was really expected to be the breakout star for this New Orleans team but Willie Sneed the undrafted uh, free agent he's had, he had a, a, another good night uh, he went four for 55 yards and more overall looked the more impressive of their receivers Mark Ingram uh, just 46 yards of his 20 attempts but those two touchdowns and then those ridiculous Devontae Freeman stats looking at the box score so Saints probably too little too late although if you then look at their schedule do you think to yourselves well if they can beat the Colts off a long week next Sunday, then they face the Giants at home. Yeah, if they win those and they four and four, I'm willing to sit here and say in that division, they could suddenly start doing something in the NFC with teams like Titans, Washington, uh, Houston, uh, the Bucks, the Lions, the Jaguars, all still to face in the later run of the season. So they, they've got enough winnable games to turn in a 9-7, and 10-6 and six season potentially from this horrible starting position. I don't think the quality's there for them to do that. They've raised their game for a divisional game here tonight, but I saw that game against the Eagles. I saw their first three games of the year. I'm not confident that New Orleans will turn it around, but I do think the Falcons will change things up next week. They'll change, turn it around and they had some bad luck tonight. They made some big mistakes. If they can sort that out, they'll come out next week and they'll be firing again. Uh, let's go back to the studio and I'm really looking forward to hearing this Dave Lapham interview, so let's get to that. Wow, 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 wow. I really hope that it continued a great run of Thursday night games because they have been really good, the Thursday night games in recent weeks. And it will kick off what is an incredibly exciting week six. Um, pick of the, uh, pick of the six o'clock games this weekend that it is the Sky game. Thankfully, they've not gone nuts and they've picked a really good game this weekend. Is going to be the game between the Cincinnati Bengals traveling to the Bills. There are so, there are loads of good games this weekend, but this one's really intriguing to me. The Bills defensive front up against that amazing Bengals line, that offense that's so balanced and doing so many different things. So before uh, we go through the rest of our picks for the weekend, let's have a chat with legendary guard, legendary radio announcer, and all round nice bloke of the Cincinnati Bengals. This is Dave Lapham. Really delighted to have uh, joining 
joining us back on the show, uh, former offensive lineman for the Cincinnati Bengals, now working as a color commentator for them. Bit of a legend and really good fun when we spoke to him last year. And this year we're going to speak to him about an undefeated team through five weeks. The first time that that's ever happened in this franchise's history. Dave Lapham, how are you doing today, sir? Good, Will and Ollie. How you guys, how you guys doing today? Yeah, good. yeah, very well, sir. Very well indeed. And let's start off uh, by, well, there's so many facets of this team I want to talk to you about. And uh, being a lineman, that line is a big part of it. But but let's start off with the obvious and, and the thing that everyone's talking about. And that's Andy Dalton, a guy who people have this bad Andy nickname for him, the idea that he will slip off as the season goes on. I think people still expect it. But from what we've seen from him so far this year, he, he looks like... He's finally putting everything together to become a more complete player. Would you agree with that assessment? I would agree with that. And I don't. I think it's because of all the hard work that he's put in um, in the off season, during OTAs, and even during the season. His Tuesday is on quote the Bengals off day. He spends hours upon hours at Paul Brown Stadium putting together the game plan with Hugh Jackson, with Kenny Zampezi, the quarterback coach. I mean, he is heavily, heavily involved in. He knows this offense as well as the coaches do. He knows <laughs> how defenses are trying to stop his offense. So I think there's no substitute for hard work. There's no shortcuts, and he is putting in the time. There's no doubt. So you think it's, it's not necessarily that there's been a new facet to his game next season. It's literally ju- this season, sorry. It's literally just that he's taken the skills he already had and, and, and honed them, do you think? I think that is, uh, that is fair. I do think he, he's worked with uh, Tom House. This was the second off season. He worked with the... Uh, the throwing mechanic expert, Tom House, who is a major league pitcher, but he's got the, the biomechanics down in the throwing process, and Andy believes in that. And uh, they're following up during the course of the season. He's in constant contact with, with Tom House, and I, I think that's a factor. Plus, I just think the natural evolution of Andy Dalton, A.J. Green, they're in their fifth year. Mohamed Sanu you know, and, and Marvin Jones are in their fourth year. I mean, it's, they're in the sweet spot of their careers. And a professional athlete in, in the NFL – years three to seven are usually the prime years of their career, and they're right in the middle of that together. I just think they've grown together, they've matured together, and uh, they, they understand uh, each other totally. I mean, they can communicate without, without speaking. They can just give a look to each other and totally communicate. We, we were lucky enough to catch up with, uh, with Hugh at the Super Bowl this year down on Radio Row, and, and the one word that stands out to me from that conversation was he kept talking about balance. And, and you mentioned the different parts of that receiving core. I mean, uh, watching that Seahawks game last weekend, they started off with Richard Sherman out on the left. So you guys put uh, A.J. Green on the other side. They realized what a problem that was going to be. So they started to move Sherman around, which they don't always do. And then suddenly Marvin Jones comes into the game. Tyler Eifert comes into the game. You know, it's not, it's not a sexy pick to say this, but this set of receivers, I, I think, are performing at a level above anyone else in the league at the moment. I think they have more weapons and more versatility within that set of weapons than anybody in the league that can line any of them up anywhere, including Eifert. He's lined up as the widest receiver in the formation. He's lined up in the slot. He's lined up as a tight end. He's lined up as an H-back and gone in motion. A.J. Green is lined up at uh, flanker, split end, slot receiver. Same with uh, Marvin Jones. I mean, they're all interchangeable. Puts a lot of pressure on a defense. And you're right. They started having uh, Sherman be A.J. Green's shadow, and they don't do that. They also play a single high safety uh, look on defense. The Bengals were bothering them so much, they dropped uh, safety Cam Chancellor out of there and played cover two with two deep safeties. They don't do that, so they flinched a couple of times. And I think it's because of the, the diversity and, and excellence of the weapons. And in that game, Andy Dalton hit those five guys. All of them had five catches or more. 
four of them had receiving yards between 61 and 90. So his distribution of the football was to all quadrants of the field. He was like a point guard, you know, just passing to his teammates, and they were making plays. The one guy in that in particular that I think a lot of people, who has caught a lot of people's attention is Tyler Eifert, the tight end. And I think before the season, we always hear in the off-season kind of bluster coming out of teams, the idea that people are having particularly good off-seasons. But we did hear consistently that Tyler Eifert was going to have a big year this year. And I don't know how much that we believed that it was just training camp bluster and how much it was real but he's really come out and stepped up his game this year and, and it almost feels like a bit of an x-factor for the Bengals no question about it and uh, you know his first two training camps he was the best player offensive weapon in training camp including AJ Green with with what he was doing but he couldn't stay healthy uh, last season in eight snaps against the Ravens he had five catches and then dislocates his elbow has a shoulder injury that he sustained in training camp so he had them both operated on and that was the end of that season. Uh, but this guy is, is special. I mean, he's 6'6", over 250 pounds, runs routes just like a wide receiver, can run the entire route tree like a wide receiver, sink his hips, get in and out of cuts, get separation. He was a very talented basketball player coming out of high school. He had college basketball scholarship opportunities there, and he plays like that. He puts his he bodies defenders up, keeps his body between them and the football. You know, he's long. I mean, he's got he's got a lot of uh, a lot of attributes. I, 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 I just call him a football player in, in a receiver. I mean, you know, he's like, he's, he's not a tight end. He's not a wide receiver. He's a football player. The guy can do it all. <laughs> the thing that's really interested me as well, Dave, is the rushing situation. It was thought preseason or, uh, or during the preseason that uh, Jeremy Hill would be the every down back and Gio Bernard would, would take a bit of a, a backseat role. It's been a bit of a role reversal. Gio is sixth in the rushing in, in the amount of yards rushed so far in, in total in the NFL and Jeremy Hill, Jeremy Hill, he's only getting three yards per rush. Is that is that worrying or is it just situational? He's been used on the goal line. What's your take on uh, on what uh, the Bengals are doing with the ball in hand? Yeah, I, I think Jeremy Hill is is the most um, um, dominant when he has a lead fullback. You know, Ryan Hewitt in front of him. And honestly, I think Hugh Jackson can't uh, substantiate taking. Tyler Eifert or Marvin <laughs> Jones or Mohamed Sunu off the Sadly, field. you're not allowed 12 men on the field. No. That's the problem. Right, right. <laughs> so it's like, you know, if I, if I put my best guys out there, my best formation to run the football in is a single back, you know, formation. And not that Jeremy can't do that, but Giovanni Bernard is getting through very, very tight seams and cracks. And you're right. I mean, he's sixth in the NFL in rushing. He's, he's averaging over 96 scrimmage yards per game, which is in the top 12 in the league. So, uh, the guy is a very talented back himself, but there'll be games where Jeremy Hill will take it over. And I, I think Jeremy is in a little bit of a funk in that he's trying to hit a home run every time he rushes the football. He's almost trying to be like Bell with Pittsburgh with these hesitation moves. Just go hit it, Jeremy. You know, Be aggressive, get downhill, and get after it. That's what you were so successful doing last year. Some doubles off the wall are just as good a lot of times as those home runs, and they're not there every time. I think he'll come around. I think he'll have a dominant stretch like he did last year. And, and we have to give a lot of love to the line. And I know you're a man that will be pleased to hear that. But in a league at the moment where we're seeing some pretty pretty below average line play, I'd say, as the league of, as a whole, 
it's been such a strength in Cincinnati, particularly. I mean, Andrew Whitworth is ridiculously underrated. I was looking up some stats on him when we were talking about him on Monday, and uh, he, he allowed only half a sack in pass blocking last year, yet couldn't get into the Pro Bowl. Uh, he's only had one Pro Bowl appearance in the nine seasons before that, and the guy plays like one of the best left tackles in the league, and even this week we saw him split out wide and then playing three linemen because they're doing so much different with that team. I mean, this line... It, is such a strength for this team. Do we think it's the the sort of position where they can w- use all that that they've got on offense to go forward and and build towards a playoff season and really really take this team further than it's gone in the last few years? I, I do think so. I, I I agree with you. I think they are a very very talented group. And the thing about them, they fit into the versatility of uh, their entire offensive uh, group. Their teammates. This offensive line is big and powerful enough to knock people off the line of scrimmage, yet they're athletic enough. Hugh Jackson pulls them a lot. He'll pull them uh, interior, you know, run power plays. They'll uh, block down, crack block, and then pull them to the outside and have them leading outside running plays against much smaller players, and they can redirect themselves and change direction in space and get a hat on people. I mean, it's, it's very, very diverse with their skill set. You know, they're, they're very, very physical, yet they've got sweet feet, and they can move in space. And, uh, and that, that helps in pass protection. I mean, those, those are two very good attributes they have protecting the quarterback. They have a pretty good job of building a solid pocket for Andy Dalton. You know, the center and guards have kept the depth of the pocket, and the tackles have kept the width. And the other thing that Andy's doing real well is when he does feel some pressure, he's getting out of pocket and extending and creating plays and, and, and making plays that are even better than the plays were, that were called from the sideline to the huddle. So uh, it's, it's all working very well. The hand is fitting the glove for sure. And, and I think really for me, and, and I want to uh, talk about maybe the attitude of the team this year, but uh, it really stood out that on the one play last week uh, was the the one time the line didn't manage to do their job was the blown blocking assignment that saw uh, Rex Bur- Burkhead get crushed on that jet sweep that led to the fumble recovery that led to Seattle going 24-7 up. And I feel like Bengals teams in the past would have gone 17 points down. And even if they had talent on the team, that could have been it for them. But... Is there something about this team, that just little spark, which means that even when they're in that hole, they go, right, we, we know we've got the talent to pull out of this and we're going to go and we're going to do it? Yeah, I think, I think there's something. It's the it factor. You don't know what it is, but when you have it, you don't want to lose it. You know, you have that <laughs> big intangible going on. And I think that's what this team has. They, on the road uh, in their second game against Baltimore, they, they, they faced some adversity and they had to come from behind twice in the fourth quarter and they did it in a very short time frame. Um, and I think that carried over to, to what happened with Seattle. I, I think, uh, you know, you, you come back from 17 points down with less than 14 minutes to play against the Seahawks, who over the last three years had given up 15.8 points per game, led the NFL in scoring and points allowed three straight years, and were third in the league coming into this game, allowing 17 a game. You score 17 on them in you know, under 14 minutes of a quarter, and then another three points in overtime. That, that is just rare. I don't know if you guys have seen the, the, the stat, Will and Ollie, but 248 times in the last five years, the team has been down by 17 points or more in the fourth quarter in the NFL. The record is one win, 247 losses. The only <laughs> win was last week by the Bengals wow. against the Seahawks. It is ridiculous how they beat the odds. I, I remember looking up at the play clock. There were 14 minutes and 12 seconds to go. Bengals are down uh, 24-7. Adam Jones returns the ball 35 yards to the Seahawks' 33-yard line. I thought, if they can score quickly, they can hang into this game. And they scored in four plays, 
and all of a sudden, here they come, and it was a strange game, and the Bengals had a seven-possession uh, sequence where they had five punts, uh, the interception in the end zone, the fumble that you talked about that was returned for a touchdown, and, you know, Mike Tyson had a saying, everybody has a game plan to get hit in the mouth, and the Bengals got hit in the mouth big time, and they reversed it. I mean, the last six possessions the Seahawks had punted every time, only had two first downs, one in the second half and, and one in overtime. And it, it, it's amazing the way they came back in that football game against that opponent. It was quite remarkable. Yeah, both sides of, uh, of, of the ball, both, t- both sets of players, so offense and defense and special teams, all stepping up. Um, what do we expect uh, when it comes to Buffalo th- this weekend? I mean, uh, the Bengals' defense managed to restrict Russell Wilson to just 21 yards. Tyrod Taylor, we think, might be back for the Bills. It, it, it's a bit touch and go. But that's somewhere that, um, that, that they can really put pressure on the Bills, isn't it? I think so. You know, I, Tyrod Taylor, I, I think he probably will try to play. But if he's got a little bit of a, an issue with that MCL, that's going to that's gonna curtail his ability to, to move and change direction mm. and, and cause issues in space. And, I mean, in one hit, it could be, you know, you're, you're right to the backup. So, I, and it's, I think whoever's playing quarterback, it's not going to change. I think the Buffalo Bills are very, very simplistic offensively. Their routes and their – their uh, philosophy and, and route combinations aren't real sophisticated because, you know, they don't have, um, you know, one of the upper echelon quarterbacks executing it. And they do have quarterbacks, though, that are mobile and can, you know, extend things a little bit. But Rex Ryan's whole thing is ground and pound. He wants to run the football and stop your running game, keep his team uh, not one-dimensional, and make you one-dimensional. That's his whole M.O., and... Uh, the six years he was head coach of the Jets, he only threw the ball more than he ran at one season. So he's all about getting that done. And uh, the Bengals, are the key for them is to shut down the running game. And as you mentioned earlier, stay balanced offensively. And in five football games, they've, they've thrown the ball just five more times than they've run it. So that's literally one more pass per game than they've <laughs> run. And they've gotten so much more out of their passing attack. But Hugh Jackson realizes the importance of balance, and he stayed persistent. You know, he ran it 31 times against the Seahawks. Didn't generate a whole lot, but the persistence of doing it made the Seahawks respect that. And, and at that point, the Bengals were able to, you know, get that vertical passing game going, which I think is the most prolific in the season after the first five games. They lead the NFL with 25 plays of 20 yards or more in the passing game. That's five a game. That's pretty good. Yeah, not bad, to be <laughs> fair. Not bad at all. The final question then, Dave, just about this Bills game this weekend. Uh, as a lineman... You're going up against Rex Ryan. Uh, we've seen it, there's been a very different look to this defense in different weeks. But when we've seen them on fire, particularly I'm thinking week one, week three, when they've looked good, they just look like they can play any kind of scheme, any kind of system. They've dropped guys. They'll do a lot of hidden coverage. They'll do a lot of blitzes off the corners as well as from the line. It's, it's, so, it's all over the place. How do you prepare as a lineman for what they can do as a defense? And do you think the Bengals will be fully prepared for essentially Rex trying to bring the house. Yeah, and I think that's going to be one of the more intriguing aspects of this game. Hugh Jackson is running formations and personnel groups that are so varied and so different. I mean, he's running everything known to man. Rex Ryan does the same thing on the defensive side of the football. So these two chess masters, who's going to be the one that does not let the the opposite guy get a beat on what he's doing? I think this is going to be very, very interesting pre-snap with all the different looks and and trying to get matchups and mismatches in their favor. And, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. Coupled with the fact that it's on the road, very, very fanatical fan base, 
boisterous. You know, you can't hear communications real well. You can't hear the snap count. You know, they face that in Baltimore and Pittsburgh in some places, but it's going to be an issue. So the fact is that uh, they're not only uh, versatile talent-wise, all these players have a pretty high football IQ, and, and a lot of the players and even the linemen and everybody understand, oh, on this look, Andy may be checking to this. So they're all understanding conceptually what Hugh's trying to do, and that could stand them in good stead when they're facing all the crazy things that uh, Rex is going to do. Rex sometimes looks like it's not sound, but Rex is a a defensive genius, and he's doing things based (laughs) on what you run uh, by percentage uh, earlier in the season. So you cannot let him get a beat on you, boy. He'll make you pay. Dave, I, I, I know Will said it's that was the last. Question. I've just got one more, and I don't want to put the mockers on anyone, so I'm not going to put you on on the spot and say what the Bengals will do, how Andy will do in the in the playoffs. I'm not going to ask you that. I want to ask you because you watch the 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 team week in week out, very very close. Who's the, and Will mentioned Andrew Whitworth, but who's the the unheralded player? Who's the player that's doing the stuff? He's not getting the recognition, perhaps uh, from outside that people that he deserves. Who's the player that's really impressed you and stepped up so far? I'd have to go on the defensive side of the football to Vinny Ray, who stepped up in the big shoes of Vontez Burfecht. If, if they can get Vontez Burfecht back and he's eligible to come back after the bye against Pittsburgh, and I'm not sure he'll be ready to play that early, but. If they can get him back in the last, say, six games of the season, like when Baltimore made their Super Bowl run, Ray Lewis came back healthy and Suggs came back healthy. They, they got their defense back intact with their pro bowlers, and, uh, and, and, and their quarterback went on, a, went on a crazy run, 11 touchdowns, no interceptions. Flacco was phenomenal. And I think if, if the Bengals can get perfect back for down the stretch, Vinny Ray in his stead, he's the third leading tackler in the NFL. Vinny Ray is a very, very good football player. Not as physically talented and dominant as Vontez Burford, but, man, the next man up, which has been him, has been very, very sound, and that defense has played well. But if they can get Vontez Burford back, that would be a major, major boost, a big shot in the arm. Brilliant stuff. Look, Dave, we're going to be 10 minutes. We've gone for nearly 20 just because we love speaking to you. And, and they, we're, we're loving this Bengals team this year. So really look forward to seeing what they do on Sunday. Uh, it's going to be tough for them, but we're hoping that they come away with the W and go 6-0 and and uh, you know, dominate that AFC North this year. And hopefully we'll see them get out of their first playoff game this year and maybe even go further. Yeah, that would be, uh, that would be very much a 500-pound gorilla coming off the back of Andy Dalton and Marvin Lewis for sure, and guys appreciate uh, appreciate talking with you guys. You guys are very uh, very knowledgeable football fans, and I appreciate the chance to visit with you, Dave Lapham. Uh, genuinely, uh, like this is the second time we've had him on the show, and <laughs> I had no intention of talking about the Bengals for twenty solid minutes, even though I'm loving this team right now. But honestly, that was fascinating. He had some really good insight to bring, and and I I do believe that this Bengals. I, I look at the the teams at the top, and I think there's a group of four currently who stand out above everyone else, and that's the Patriots and the Packers, and then the Cardinals and the Bengals. And the key to all four of those teams is just uh, we've said it so many times there, and Hugh Jackson said it. It's balance, and they have got everything. And I was listening to the MMQB podcast, and there was an interesting comparison that was made by Andy Benoit, uh, which was 
between the somebody like Flacco or Roethlisberger who took a little time to get going. I mean, Roethlisberger, I know, came in and hit the ground running, but not as an individual. The team carried him to an extent in the first season. But how they grew as individuals and how they got better and better as they went along. And genuinely, Andy Dalton looks like a player that could win a Super Bowl this year. And the thing with him... I know that sounds ridiculous, but I do believe it. And the thing with those guys that you mentioned, they all had slight defects in their game. Andy Dalton's defect, well, he can pass, he can throw the ball over a long distance. He's got, an, he's got a gun. He can run the ball. Um, he's got a gun on the field. There were, no wonder he wins. He's got an arm of arm as a gun. <laughs> but you know, it, he's got all of the, all of the things that you need as an NFL quarterback. The one thing he didn't have was that comeback ability and uh, that surviving under pressure. And we saw that with with those defeats in the playoff games and sometimes up until this point. But what we've seen so far this year has dispelled all of that. And I think the Bengals are sneaky good. They're not even sneaky good anymore. People are starting to recognise that they're actually very, very good. Both sides of the ball. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> Look, we can't talk about them this much without saying if we're going to take... I'm going to take the Bengals this weekend, even though I think Buffalo is their toughest test so far. Uh, and I mean, and that might sound like a, a diss on the Seahawks, but just what they showed for me in that fourth quarter mm. against the Seahawks. I'm taking them this weekend in a very tough game, but I also think if they lose, they've got the schedule and the quality to bounce back and, and still be a great team. I don't think they're going to fall off the edge if they do lose. This is going to be a great game this weekend, one I'm really looking forward to. Ditto. Now, we've just done 18 solid minutes, maybe 20 with our little chat afterwards on the Bengals-Bills game. So let's not talk any more about that one. And let's go on to talking about the other of the six o'clock kickoffs that are coming up this weekend. Uh, is there a particular game that you want to kick off with, Ollie? Yes, Denver-Cleveland. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, let's start off with that. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but... <laughs> no, 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 I, I, I'm, I'm all over it. I, earlier on this week, I sat in a ludicrous amount of praise of Josh McCown. Um, honestly, there is one quarterback coming into this game playing at a Pro Bowl level, and there's one quarterback coming to this game playing as if he's one of the bottom five in the league. And if the season has started and I told you one of those was Peyton Manning and the other was Josh McCown, I know which way round you think those were. McCown threw for a Browns regular season record of 457 yards in their 33-30 overtime win against Baltimore last week. The Denver defence are probably going to be, I think are definitely going to be out with DeMarcus Ware. He's going to be out for two weeks. They're 5-0. and They're travelling into Cleveland at 2-3. and Can the Cleveland offence keep things going against that incredible defence? Defense, or is this going to be the Broncos' chance to uh, finally get a bit of offense going? Yeah, I, I mean, what we thought would happen with the Cleveland Browns was that uh, that rush defense would be outstanding, and it hasn't really been. Um, and but what we also thought would de- would be the Denver rush- rushing offense would be outstanding, and it hasn't been. Um, I can't really see that changing too much. Ronnie Hillman, despite that 72-yard carry, uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, um, it's kind of obscuring uh, how bad both him and CJ Anderson have been. It's a, I think it'll be a really tight game. Again, d- defence will will win. Um, and the Denver defence has been fantastic. Just under 100, 192 yards in the air per game uh, against Josh Cowan, who did four, 500 yards last week. It's going to be really, really interesting how that that balances out. I really want to see the Broncos just go back to basics on offense. They, they didn't score an offensive touchdown last week. The second time they've not done that this season. Manish, Manning finished with 266 with two interceptions. He's thrown six touchdowns to seven picks this season already. That's the second most in the league. His completion percentage is way down. He's 20th in the league on that. I just want to see them 
run the ball up the gut, get it out wide, let Demarius Thomas go on short routes, let uh, Owen Daniels get into the game, find Emmanuel Sanders over the middle as well. Let's let's just keep things very simple, mm-hmm. keep manning in the gun. I think they've got enough. I'm still taking the Broncos in this game, but this game, at the start of the season, we should have been looking at this and going, well, this is an easy win. Not so much. Yeah, it's a tricky one. Uh, I'm taking the Broncos as well. What Manning needs to do is let the playmaker that is... Uh, uh, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. They're great after the catch and great after contact as well. Let them do the hard work. Don't try and force stuff. Just get it quick. Get it out. Get it quick to those guys. If that happens, Denver victory. I think Denver victory anyway, but, you know, it, it, it will be a tough one. They, the, 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 um, uh, the Broncos always tend to struggle when they go east. So let's see. Uh, let's move on to talking about what uh, my other favourites of the six o'clock kickoffs, and that's the four and one Arizona Cardinals travelling to face the three and two Steelers. The Steelers in a very lucky to be in this position with uh, a, a bizarre win uh, on Monday Night Football, making up for the bizarre loss on Thursday Night Football the week before. So it's a slightly short week for them. The Cardinals, I've been talking about them as the uh, as the best of the non undefeated teams we've got so many undefeated teams it's difficult to put them right up there but I do think they're in that top four like I said uh, uh, earlier on and I look at the overall balance in this game and I am taking the Cardinals to win and we actually had a question in on Twitter on this one from Neil Dutton who simply asked us uh, if you look at the uh, Cardinals players who could win comeback player of the year who's it going to be they've got about six candidates um, I, I mean, we talked about comeback player of the well, year. There's only one if on that uh, on, on that team. Only one. Go on. It's Carson Palmer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. We're in agreement. It's Carson Palmer. There are. You've got to admit there are a number of players in there. They've managed to get Chris Johnson looking like a viable running back. But actually, I think that's got a lot to do with the blocking has been perfect for him. He's not had to be too explosive. Uh, you know, he's he's a yard off the pace of what he was when he was CJ two K. But overall, he has been uh, mightily impressive for them. Uh, I think when they get when they get Andre Ellington back and playing regularly as well, David Johnson's a touchdown machine. So many offensive weapons on on that side of the ball. Uh, you know, John Brown, Michael Floyd. Larry Fitzgerald playing the best Larry Fitzgerald played in about five years. I just think the Cardinals are going to overwhelm the Steelers, who on defense have not been a good team. And it's still going to be Michael Vick. And it's still going to be... I'm picking the Cardinals to win this one by a couple of touchdowns. Really? Yeah. I'm more on talking. I'm talking myself into it in a big way. Going Going to Steeler land... It's not called Steeler Land, isn't it? By the banks of the Three Rivers. Yeah, going there is always tricky. Not a night game, so that that will help the the Cardinals, I think, because it, the atmosphere won't be as crazy. But the Cardinals, they've lost Alex Okafor, um, their leading sack um, tackle. He's out for two to four weeks. So that's going to be tricky for them on on, on defence. But that uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce Arians always manages to plug and play get people yeah well in. but that's what's amazing about this cardinals team and i feel like we're focusing on the cardinals a little bit more than we are the steelers here but the cardinals lose uh, Todd Bowles to the jets bring in James Betcher they lose members of that front seven key members of it we thought they'd have a fall off in that area we thought that would be the reason the cardinals wouldn't be as good this year and the defense has ended up being an absolute strength they're ball hawks in the backfield they've got a really good front seven who get good pressure stop the run yeah i the more i talk about this cardinals the more excited i get about them and 
and the less and less I think the Steelers have got a chance. They want Big Ben back as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, they do. They, um, just one point, uh, the Steelers do have Martavis Bryant likely returning this weekend. He missed uh, Monday's game with a knee injury after missing the first four games of the season uh, for violating the NFL substance abuse policy. Uh, he's a great number two option, but they need to get Antonio Brown involved. If they're going to do anything in this game, Le'Veon Bell has come back and looked very good. But Antonio Brown uh, was in the top five, I think, in the NFL through the first three games. Caught 436 yards and a couple of touchdowns. He's only caught 87 yards through the last two games. He's not enjoying the relationship with Vic. Mm. That's one area they need to improve on in a big way. Tell me another of the six o'clock games you're looking forward to. I wanna, I'm actually looking forward to seeing the New York Jets. Yes, Lee and Blackburn, that, those <laughs> Jets, them Jets. Uh, they're hosting the Washington Redskins. Oh, you know, this is going to be a really fascinating, fascinating game because the Jets coming off a bye. Um, it's a, a very good rush, uh, a run offense uh, with Brandon Marshall uh, in the in um, as a wide receiver as well. He's the first Jets player since Al Toon to have three straight <laughs> wow. 100 yard games. Amazing, incredible, great stat. Uh, the Jets at three and one uh, have never won at home against Washington. Wow, uh, is uh, the most ridiculous stat I've seen going into this. But I genuinely I think that they're coming off the bye week. We had a question in actually uh, about the bye teams from Simon. Do you think all the bye teams can get a win this week? And I think we'll we'll tick off through them. But I think the Jets should win at home to Washington. Yeah. This is two very good run defenses, two very good run offenses. Uh, yeah, the, the uh, Washington led the league in rushing through the first four weeks. Um, but they are the, the biggest problem here, and the reason I think the Jets are going to do it is. Prior to last weekend when they had the bye, the Jets easily had the most takeaways in the league. Denver have overtaken them having played an extra game. But they're a very opportunistic defence. They get fumbles, they get picks, they get pressure off the edge. Mm -hmm. We saw all of that happening in London. Um, Washington have uh, a tied for the most in the NFL in, in terms of turnovers. They've had nine giveaways already. Uh, so with Kirk Cousins in the backfield, I don't trust him against that defence. I think the defence wins it out and this is a Jets win. Yeah, I've picked the Jets as well. All of those reasons. I'm really looking forward to seeing Chris Ivory uh, running again because he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Career year, uh, career game um, at, at Wembley Stadium. Uh, I expect a bit more from, from him as well. Now, we talked about how I think there's no bad games this weekend, and I really do mean that when we look at the next three games. And we'll kick things off by talking about Kansas City Chiefs at the Minnesota Vikings. Now, the Chiefs at the Vikings, uh, the Chiefs are obviously without their star, Jamal Charles. Uh, Shikandrick West became an absolute fancy darling this week, despite having only played about four snaps in the league. And I need to get something off my chest on this, because I got offered a trade in fantasy this week. I have Jamal Charles in a number of leagues. If I'm ever picking in the top five, I'm always looking to try and get Jamal Charles. I love the man. Me too. That's costing me in a big way now. I get that. Um, you know, this, he was a guy who was averaging 5.1 yards per hurts. carry, 21 passes for 177 yards already this season, five touchdowns ca accounted for half of the Chiefs' offensive total. It's absolutely heartbreaking to see him go out. Kendrick West is a guy, I think he's a second-year guy. He has some raw ability. He's likely to be the starting back there, although they've still got Niall Davis, and Niall Davis will still split some carries. Sorry, who? Uh, Niall Davis. <laughs> Niall Davis, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not completely over the cold. <laughs> I really think that people are getting overexcited about Kendrick West. I got offered a trade this week, which was 
I lost to our trials. They offered me Shikandrick West and Travis Benjamin for Stevie Johnson and Arian Foster. Now, Arian Foster... Are you, are you having a lot? Basically, you're offering me Arian Foster for Shikandrick West. It's just ludicrous. The guy's going to have half the production that Jamal Charles is going to have, most likely. And, you know, in our, um, in, we're in a league where you have, uh, sorry, I know talking about fantasy is boring, but it's just, uh, people just need to realise not to expect Jamal Charles in this game. Um, in our league where uh, we have a free agent budget of $100. Oh, that annoys me. Liam Blackburn paid $77 for Shikandrick West. I thought I'd have the highest bid with $30, and I only went in that high I went because I had Jamal Charles. <laughs> and I was like fifth. There were two people who had it in the 60s, one who were in the 50s. It's absolutely ludicrous. You're not bidding for a great returning back from injury. I, they, people have just got very overexcited, and I think the Vikings will win this game on the basis that... Yes, there's, I mean, you've got Kendrick West, you've got Niall Dave, you've got DeAnthony Thomas, who can be versatile, uh, can be a, a receiver as well as, uh, as well as a running back. They've got Jeremy Macklin, who's helped to make them look better. And they've got our friend, uh, a friend of the pod, Travis Kelsey. They should have enough on offense to keep things going. I don't think they did run the whole effort, offense through Jamal Charles, but he just had such great numbers for them. And the Miami defense after their terrible week one, and uh, Miami, sorry, Minnesota defense after their terrible week one has got better and better and better as the weeks have gone on I think this is a Vikings home win um, and the Chiefs go 1-5 and five, and it's so oh ugly coming gosh. towards London uh, well the Chiefs have thrown more uh, this season than any other time that they have with, uh, with um, Alex Smith under centre and that's just going to continue because they've <laughs> at the beginning of this season they had uh, Jamal Charles. Now they don't expect more throws uh, to the likes of Jeremy, Mac- Jeremy Macklin and Travis Kelsey. So I don't see that changing. I've got uh, the Vikings on this. They're coming off a bye. Adrian Peterson, uh, you know, has fallen back in love with Minnesota again, basically, uh, and expect more, more, um, more yards and touchdowns from him. So yeah, for me, uh, I am going. A Minnesota Vikings win. Coming back to uh, coming back to Simon's question, that's two of the four that we fancy for wins this week. I'm not so sure. I feel as strongly about Miami going to Tennessee. Uh, the Dolphins are one and three, and Dan Campbell is going to be taking charge of his first game as an NFL head coach. Just what five years out of be- uh, from being a player, miraculous rise for him in particular. But they were so disappointing, and they're going to have to try and avoid a fourth consecutive feat defeat against the Tennessee team who took the Bills very close this week, who took the Colts very close two weeks ago. They're not a great team top to bottom but they seem to keep themselves in games. They're a little bit frisky. We do like what Marcus Mariota's doing. Uh, Miami's defense is terrible. Their their offense is terrible, sorry. They rank 28th in total offense, just 315 yards a game, second to last in rushing. Ryan Tannehill's taken a real slip back. Lamar Miller's only averaging 3.5 yards per carry compared to 5.1 yards in 2014. They're 29 Ninth in total defense. This is a terrible, terrible team at the moment. I just can't see Dan Campbell being the difference that turns them around. And I have gone for a Tennessee home win here. One sack the Miami Dolphins have had so far this season. And that's with Ndomukun Tu, Olivier Vernon, Cameron Wake all in the lineup. It is absolutely balmy. But for that reason, I am going a Miami Dolphins win. Ooh. I, I'm. <laughs> I don't know why I went quite so camp there. <laughs> right, Kenneth. Ooh. I don't know why the air horn felt suitable for that. And it wasn't suitable. Uh, yeah, I think... That's what I should have gone with. Yeah, you really should have done. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think Dan Campbell coming in, he's had 
10 days really to work with the guys since they they came back off their break after the the um after the bye week uh, they've they've had a long time to prepare for this game the the Tennessee Titans coming off of that attritional game against the Buffalo Bills and I think they will turn it around I think we'll see more production from Jordan Cameron at tight end because Dan Campbell was an ex tight end I think Ryan Tannehill will be uh, spilling it out to to him um far quicker and we'll get we'll get to see more of um, Jarvis Landry. I just think there's it, it's crazy. It's it's one of those uh, storyline type things that it would be very Titans to lose this game. T- it? Very Titans to lose it, and very NFL for a, a, <laughs> it would be really funny for Philbin, <laughs> or not for him, but uh, laughing everyone else laughing at Philbin that as soon as he leaves they get okay right the next two games are the reason why i thought people might think i'm crazy saying i like every game this week as the brian hoyer led one and four texans travel to the one and four jaguars we had a couple of questions in on this one as well simon being one of them i've trusted the jags the last two weeks and they've let me down what makes you think they're going to change that this weekend look blake bortles he's had his shoulder injury but it's looking like he's going to be ready to be under center come sunday evening uh, they're on a three-game skid it's not a good situation uh hoyer came in for the the game against the Colts last weekend and did well up until throwing that game-losing pass right at the death, and it was a weird, weird choice. Um, But Bortles has looked brilliant the last two weeks. Threw for 303 yards and four touchdowns last weekend. He's Genuinely, he's looked like the guy we saw in the very first three or four games last season before he started to have some issues. Alan Robinson caught two touchdown passes this last weekend. Alan Hearns finished with 116 yards and for the second straight game he had a... uh, For the second straight game sorry, he finished with 116 yards. Bizarre. He finished with the same two games in a row but he also had a touchdown reception for the third consecutive week. They've got Julius Thomas back now full time. Paul Poslosny is going to be back Back in that defence. Uh, TJ Yeldon has had a groin injury, but there's, there's a belief that he might make his way back in as well. I, I genuinely think the Jags are going to win this game and come into London next weekend with, with something they've never had before coming to London, and that's two wins in the W column. Whoa. Whoa. Where's that hysterical music? <laughs> no, I don't, I, I don't think it deserves it, actually. Because Let's get hysterical. <laughs> every time yeah every time it's once a show uh who is leading the league in yards receiving yards do you know who it is oh, it must be deandre hopkins it's deandre hopkins uh second with 42 receptions <laughs> the fact that we're talking about this game helped me to guess that one yeah, I I know, to say. Right, no, really. <laughs> um, but, but that's come with a, not a settled uh case at, at quarterback with both ryan mallet and brian hoyer uh both under center we've got hoyer back um they've only got the the one issue i've got with the tech, there's, I've got plenty of issues with the Texans, but the one I'm going to talk about now is that on defense, they've only really got two or three players, and those are the guys that are, are, that are affecting the line. Uh, JJ Watt, Jadavian Clowney, and Vince Wilfork, who's not actually been playing to his uh, New England Patriot peaks of last season and the season before. Uh, other than that, their secondary is abysmal. Um, uh, the way that um, uh, the way that the Atlanta Falcons ran all over them as well. Well, this is it. Before it's a, in the it's first a real three worry. weeks, they had a really good run defense, and then Atlanta ran all over them. Uh, old man Gore got ninety-eight yards and a score against them last week. You know they are 
they don't look good on either side of the ball at no. the moment. DeAndre Hopkins admittedly looks like a superstar, as we thought he would going into this year. Uh, but certainly, uh, it could be a high-scoring game again, but I'm going with the home team. That's for sure. Uh, let's yeah, that's on. Have I. That's have We're going to go on to the late games and so uh, and look at that final team coming off the bye. Uh, no, we're not. I forgot about the Chicago Bears at the Detroit Lions. Which is fair enough. Cal asked us on Twitter, is Golden Tate right the defences know exactly what the Lions' offence is going to do. So much talent, but it's basically doing nothing. The Detroit Lions are 0-5. The Chicago Bears come in at 2-3 and after a big come-from-behind win last weekend and a half-decent performance from Jay Cutler. Uh, yeah, no one wants to hear that. Is this Matthew Stafford's last chance? I, I think they have to play him this weekend. I think that... Oh, no, they will play him. They have to play him. Big divisional game in Detroit. But if it if it comes the the Chicago are two three scores up by the the middle of the third quarter, do you bench Stafford? I think you have to, depending Probably. on how he's playing. Probably. But, I mean, would I, that be it? I kind of feel a little bit like with this game that it's it's so early to say it, but I want to know now if Alshon Jeffrey and Eddie Royal are going to be back because that makes a big difference for me. Actually, I think the Lions secondary isn't terrible. Their line's pretty decent against the run. Matt Forte uh, might have... A t- I don't know. I, I just... What this game is, we say that the people might go, oh, you've left this game for last of the six o'clock games and uh, that's because it's the worst game. Actually, bec- if you look at this independently from the fact that I'm in a, I am support the Green Bay Packers and uh, you don't like the, the Chicago Bears, Will Gavin. If you look at this, there's so many intriguing things about this game. Uh, will Cutler be uh, OK again? Alshon Jeffrey. Matt Forte is a fantastic running back. Uh, stop it in the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Calvin Johnson, he hasn't looked anywhere near his Megatron self. I, fe- I, I feel slightly bad for um, Lions fans. He's been more star have... screen than, uh, than Megatron. Brilliant. Nice. Good work. Um, I, but then again, on the other side, uh, Amir Abdullah was benched Sunday after fumbling twice. Joyke Bell, just 22 yards on 20 carries, uh, expects to play after missing the last two games with an ankle injury. Bring in the Zena. This is, this is an ugly game of football, but the reason I'm saying it's a good game of football is because it's between two bad teams. I've gone for a Bears road win. Don't you dare. I've gone for a Detroit win. No, I feel dirty. You should feel dirty. You make me sick. And you're going to make me sick a little bit later as well. I know you will. <laughs> Big question on this one. Carolina Panthers travelling to Seattle Seahawks. Now, we talked a lot about both of these teams uh, on Monday's show, so we don't need to go to too much depth about these problems. But the Seahawks have been terrible in the fourth quarter in, on the defence and have just lost leads in so many games recently. Carolina, one of the big surprises. They're still undefeated at this point. But a lot of people see this as being the game where they're going to lose that undefeated streak easily. It was the game that you guys picked the most as being the game that we were going to see uh, somebody lose their undefeated streak. Luke Keekley's back. Amazing Woo! news. That is fantastic oh, news for them. Great news. Particularly considering Seattle are likely to have Marshall and Lynch back. Essentially, you've just brought in two forces which seem to cancel each other out a little bit on the either side of the ball. They're like rutting bulls. I um, Do you remember that bit in, um, in Jurassic Park where you've got those uh, those dinosaurs that look like they've got their fryer tuck or baldy heady dinosaurs right, yeah, yeah. and they're hitting each other that's what um marshall and lynch and luke keekley will be doing this weekend good thanks i'm glad that you really went to the lengths to explain that thanks anytime buddy carry on uh 
Cam Newton is playing lights out. Hasn't thrown an interception since week two against Houston. And a two-game stretch is the longest of his career without a pick. I know that seems ridiculous. Uh, he's got just three turnovers through four games after committing 22 in what ended up being 18 overall contests last year. Uh, besides throwing for seven touchdowns, he's also run for a pair. He leads quarterbacks with 48.8 rushing yards per game after finishing with 51 on 12 carries and throwing for two touchdowns against Tampa Bay in their last outing. I... I my problem with this game is is that what the Bengals were able to do so successfully is pick on Carrie Williams. I think that Seahawks secondary has really weakened by missing just one player. Carrie Williams can be picked on, and they had they were forced to, as we talked about with Dave Lapham, move Sherman out of his usual role of sitting at, on the outside, on the left-hand side of the defense, and basically tracking A.J. Green. But as we've said so many times about the Panthers, is that... He's man- Cam Newton's managed to do this with just a litany of bang average receivers. Um, I mean, you know, maybe we'll see Devin Funchess suddenly step up this weekend. Maybe we'll see Greg Olson have another big game. But all the guys behind them, the Philly Browns, the Ted Ginns, coming up against that Legion of Boom, even as they are decimated this year, you're not going to have that issue of, OK, so we'll line up somebody against Sherman, but we'll be able to find other guys over on the other side. I just don't think they've got the offensive weapons to pick on the Seahawks. I think they can run on them more than we've been able to in other seasons, and maybe that's where they'll pick up some yards. But I think the Seahawks have a bit of a bounce back this week. They're going to go to 3-3, three and three, uh, and uh, the, the Panthers will be the first undefeated team to lose a game. Uh, thank you for showing me the picture from Jurassic Park. I'm glad that while I've sat here and talked about that game, that's what you've just spent your time doing. I feel, I feel a bit dirty doing it because actually I really want Carolina to win this one. Uh, but I'm going to go with the Seahawks at home. Uh, Pachycephalosaurus. <laughs> Do you have anything to add about this And I'm game? not being racist. Um, no, I think the Seahawks will win, unfortunately. So back to Simon's question on the bye teams. We think two of four will win the games this weekend. Oh, there was some news actually about the bye teams out this weekend before we get on to the final four games. A uh, quick note on uh, out this weekend, the Cowboys, Raiders, Rams and Bucks. Uh, for the Raiders, Justin Tuck is out for the year. That's devastating news oh, on that line. No. He's done so much to help Do you think Khalil Mack come along. Do you think um, he'll come back? Oh, well, I'd like to hope so. I think he's probably got a couple more seasons left in him. Uh, and for the Cowboys, Dez back in training today, uh, only doing conditioning training. He's not out there, you know, in pads, catching, etc. But it's a good sign that he's going to be back not long after the bye. Uh, Will Gavin, are you glad that Dez is back? In what way? Because, you know, I've become a lover of football. It really feels like a loaded question, this one, I'm not going to lie. No, 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 no. Because a lot of people don't like the Cowboys yeah. and they want them to do badly. They like to see them fail. But I love seeing great players play. And I think he's such a watchable player that to have him back in the league makes the Cowboys more interesting. We know that Romo, because he's been put on the, uh, the injury reserve, uh, will, will, can't be back for four more games. And it's the combination of the two I think they need. But Bryant just adds so much to the offense, not just in terms of what he offers in terms of his own physical skills, ability, leadership, ability, uh, maybe not leadership. He is a bit of a whinger, but he forces defenses to look at that offense differently and not just stuff the box. I mean, they're talking about in this uh, this week the Cowboys bringing in uh, Christine Michael and giving him a chance to take the job off Joseph Randall because they've struggled running the ball this year and and bringing Lyle Collins and starting him in at left guard because they've struggled running the ball, which they didn't do last year. That's massive to know that they're having to think of making those strides. Whereas Des Bryant forces you to not focus so much safety help or corner help on helping the box and stuffing it with eight and 
That's mm. that's a big difference. Anyway, let's get back onto this weekend's games. There are four more to go. I've managed to do this entire podcast without talking about a certain situation. I almost don't want to talk about one of these games. So let's finish with the nine o'clock games first. And let's go crackers with the Packers. <laughs> the <laughs> this is a little laugh on the end. Uh, coming off a rare pedestrian Aaron Rodgers performance, they're seeking a rebound. Something he doesn't quite need as badly as the San Diego Chargers do. Green Bay five and zero kept rolling despite an error-prone effort against the St. Louis Rams last weekend. He was intercepted twice, snapping his NFL record streak. We've talked about that a lot. That'll probably be the last time we mention it. Some people will be glad to know. But despite the stagnant rushing attack, the the Packers' defense really stood up. I think uh, I saw a great line this week that said the Packers' defense have gone from being an opener to being co-headliner. And that is how it feels with how good Mm -hmm. they've been this year. I can't remember who wrote that. Somebody on NFL.com, maybe. Um, And... I just, I, I like the Chargers because they've got Phil Rivers. But I think that's the only reason I like the Chargers. Uh, I like Antonio Gates. Uh, no, I'm, I'm struggling. I think this is a Packers win. I think Packers win as well. Uh, after Matt Forte ran all over the Packers in week, uh, when was it? In week one. After the Packers ran, all, uh, Matt Forte ran all over the Packers in week one. Uh, Don Capers really looked at the rush defense. And things have been going, have been going really well, uh, keeping Jamal Charles down to, to a few yards. You Marshall got hammered Lynch. by Todd Gurley last but, week. Yeah, hammered by Todd Gurley. And I expect a reaction to that. And I think, um, Melvin Gordon, Danny Woodhead will not have anywhere near that kind of game. And I think the Packers will shut that down. That defense, that, they're, the defense is getting to be more exciting. It definitely was last week than, than watching a pedestrian, as it was. It was a pedestrian performance from Aaron Rodgers. I'm really, really excited about, um, watching the defense against the Chargers. Can't wait. I'm going for a Packers win. Hey, buddy, do you remember about 30 months ago, we sat in a bar in central London and watched Super Bowl 47. Yes, yes, I do remember. Against a very, very good Baltimore Ravens team and a very, very good San Francisco 49ers team. Well, this week we get to watch a terrible Baltimore Ravens team at 1-4 and four travel to a terrible San Francisco 49ers team at 1-4 and four in one of the late games. And do you know what? For the first time this year, I'm picking the 49ers. What? Where's your hysterical music now? I just, I didn't see anything from the Ravens last week which suggested to me that they could go and win on the road at a decent team, giving up so many yards and points to the Browns. Admittedly, on offense, they got their run game going, but it's not the run game that's going to beat the San Francisco 49ers. It's the passing game. The 49ers secondary looks like a dumpster fire, but Steve Smith may be back. That could make a big difference for Joe Flacco, but Kamar Aiken and Crockett Gilmore and all these other no-name guys in the passing game, I just can't see the Ravens getting going. And if the 49ers can build on a very decent performance that they had against the Giants in the late game last weekend, I think they're going to win a second game of the season. Yeah, I'm with you. Celebrate good times. Come on. It's a celebration. I, I realised I don't have that many musical options outside of the ones we had. What's this one? Oh, that's the award music. No, 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 no. We award the 49ers a 2-4 and four record. Yeah, I've got it. Got it as well. 49ers. I think defence is... It's getting a bit better. Uh, Kaepernick doesn't look as terrible some weeks as he does other weeks. Who knows what week this will be. Hopefully, for your sake, 
it's a good week. The, the defense have looked much better in the home games than they have on the road. Uh, the 49ers look much better on offense they have than in any other game. Yeah, I think they, I think they could do okay. Right. There's a there's a game next. There's a couple of teams we haven't spoken about. Um, I don't want to talk about it. You're going to have to talk about this. The New England Patriots at four and zero travel to the Indianapolis Colts at three and two. This was supposed to be the return of Tom Brady in this game until that farce of a court case ended up exonerating him. I'm not suggesting that exonerating him was a farce. The whole thing was a farce, is what I'm saying. They go there. It's a quote-unquote revenge game. Uh, you know, I, I, the, the one very funny thing I heard this week was somebody suggest that what New England need to do is prepare for deep kickoffs because they're going to be kicking off from their 20 very regularly because they're going to score about eight touchdowns and they're going to over-celebrate all of them and get a lot of 15-yard penalties. <laughs> this is... Uh, let's just look at the, the tiny ways that I think Indianapolis could do well here secondary of the pats the secondary of the pats admittedly and andrew luck may return and maybe that's the difference although hasselbeck actually has played better than him the last two weeks by no small stretch that's that's something the only way i can see them beating the patriots is if they go full-on press man with the two corners they get greg toler and they get um uh your mate Vontae davis Davis. i want to say vernon davis his brother who's back this week by the way Um, are they brothers uh brothers or cousins they're one of the two. Either way, that's amazing. I don't know why that's amazing, but I, I sorry. <laughs> Family, families in the NFL. I, they, they are brothers, and look at that hilarious—that hilarious photo of the two of them stood together. <laughs> <laughs> hey, buddy! <laughs> they're both in white wife beater vests. That's incredible. Um, so uh, they get press man up on that uh, those receivers. They get Mike Adams to basically who has been actually brilliant this year and much underrated to come up and basically man up on Gronk, maybe with the linebacker help, double team him. They then use everyone else to stuff the box against Dion Lewis and they somehow get pressure on Tom Brady with their weakened pass rush. It needs to be the defensive performance of this defense's life if they're going to have any chance of beating New England. But I think the Patriots win this one and they don't just win this one. They're going to win it by at least three touchdowns. I think... I agree, and if it gets, <laughs> but if it gets to be too a, much agreement on today, well, no, show. but if it gets to be a blowout, I can imagine. You know the mercy rule that the NFL has. I don't think Bill will em, em, employ it. I the, think the unwritten it, mercy. Rule. Yeah, the unwritten mercy rule. I think Bill will go for the jugular, 80, 90 points if they if he could. <laughs> what's the highest ever scoring? Uh, the, what's the I biggest? Think it's something win? like sixty to seventeen. I, I, it's something, something like that. The most points in a single game was in 1940. The Chicago Bears beat Washington 73 to nothing. Uh, I, I don't know about the Super Bowl era because I'm struggling to find these stats particularly quickly. I'm just looking at this. The Giants beat the Eagles 62-10 once. Uh, the, the Bears beat the Packers 61-7. That was in 1980. Most recently, uh, that's, that's the most recent one I remember. The Saints beating the Colts 62-7 back in 2011. That was in the Colts' suck-for-luck season. Season. They but, uh, really did suck. And, uh, and amazingly, in 2000, the Jaguars beat the Dolphins 62-7. Wow. So 62-7, 62-7, 7 61-7. In fact, 61 and 62 points seems to be the biggest margin. That's when they stop. That, uh, do you think that the Patriots could actually go beyond 62 points this weekend? They could, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm not sure that they... Look, if they could, they would. Do, we need do you to, know what I mean? Do we need to talk about this game anymore? No. Thank you. 
Moving on to then to very quickly to Monday Night Football. It's a divisional game. The three and two Giants travel to face the two and three Eagles, who look finally like they might have got their offensive spark back, but they were playing the terrible New Orleans Saints. I found this maybe the most difficult game to pick this week. Um, Odell Beckham, we know, missed practice today with a, with a hamstring, but with them being on the longer week uh, and with being on the late night Sunday game that could just be a case of like they rest many players on the Tuesday so we need to see how he practices Friday and Saturday uh, and and uh, we do know however they're going to be missing Prince Amukamura pectoral muscle uh, strain he's going to be out for two to four weeks he's been brilliant this year on that otherwise quite no-name defense it, this is the reason this is so hard to pick is you just don't know which version the Eagles are going to turn up. The Eagles secondary has not looked very good this year. That despite the fact that they invested in it and we thought that maybe they might finally do do well, they might do okay. Um, but the Giants, I think, have got one of the more interesting passing offenses in the league, particularly when Odell Beckham's on the field. Um, Larry Donnell looked very good in the game against the 49ers. Great catch. Dwayne Harris, from the, formerly of the Cowboys, uh, came out and played big towards the end. Shane Vereen suddenly started getting used in the passing game after a couple of weeks with no targets and no mm. receptions. So I, I think the Giants have got enough to beat them offensively but the Eagles just purely it comes down to which version shows up I'm taking the Giants based purely on consistently and because I've taken them for my NFC East team to win the whole division uh, but this could j- I may change this on Monday I just haven't I can't even make a decision at this point. I've gone Eagles I've gone Eagles I, the Giants could be without their top three wideouts uh, Victor Cruz definitely not playing Ruben Randall might not be about because he he lived might not off. be about yeah <laughs> doesn't like Philly doesn't well, like it, no, he hates doesn't. hates the Rocky movies yeah and um, cheesesteak hates cheesesteak hates cheesesteak hates the Rocky movies what else is famous about Will Smith hates Will Smith <laughs> <laughs> hates Bradley Cooper hates Will Smith hates uh, Silver Linings Playbook hates that film do you know what he burnt a copy of that film oh. Oof. On the Philly like... steps. <laughs> <laughs> hates people running upstairs. Hates statues of fake boxers. Uh, yeah, hates that. Uh, he hates Eye of the Tiger. Who hates Eye of the Tiger? No one hates Eye of the Tiger. Nobody hates Eye of the Tiger. You know, it was Tiger. number one when I was born. Amazing. Yeah. I'm For... pretty sure Stevie Wonder was number one when I was born, but I'd have to re-look it up. Number one when my sister was born was 99 Red Balloons. 99 Luftballon. Yadila Flash no mask na. That was incredible. <laughs> Can you please sing all songs in fake German from now on? Yeah. Uh, um, I just, I can't call it the Eagles. DeMarco Murray had 83 yards after combining for 47 in his first three games. Ryan Matthews rushed for 73 on eight carries. Look, the Eagles can run the ball finally. Are they going to do it against the Giants? Probably not, because that's the kind of inconsistent bunch of bastards they are. Uh, weren't Murray's yards gunk lo- yards, though? Gunk, gunk yards? Gunk yards. It's between garbage and junk. It's I, the new gridiron way of we're not say, No, we're not saying gunk. That's gunk not, yards. That is not becoming a Let's thing. do it. I'm going to do it, and then it'll <laughs> filter into your mind. I refuse. Gunk yards. Hashtag Gunkyards. Uh, yeah, get in touch if you think that Gunkyard should be a thing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, we don't know. I just don't know. But I'm really excited about this weekend's slate of games. Thank you again to Dave Lapham for joining us. That was really enjoyable. Next week, we should have a report from the Packers UK guys who are out currently in Green Bay with sports travel tours. And hopefully, we, we're still working on it. We're still needing to get the nuances, but we should at some point have at least the initial announcement about the Gridiron and Sports Travel Tour tour of the US, taking Woo! in college games, taking in high school games, taking in NFL games. It's going to be so exciting when we get that put together and we'll hopefully bring you some news of that keep checking us out on twitter at gridiron 
and keep checking out the website gridiron-magazine.com mm-hmm. Ollie, is there anything you'd finally like to add? Well, do we have time? We may do. I've just realised we also missed a Twitter question, so do you quickly want to answer the Twitter question as well? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. With the Colts having regressed to the same level as the rest of the AFC South, harsh, Gary Taylor, harsh, mm. will the AFC South be won with a 500 or worse record? The AFC disgrace, I think is what you mean, because they are the new. If the, if the Colts, the Colts are going to lose this weekend. So the Colts are going to lose, the Jags are going to beat the Texans. Oh, we thought the Titans were going to win, didn't we? No, I didn't. Well, I thought the Titans were going to win. I think the Dolphins will win. That's that's a different division. No, oh, no, it's not. They're playing the Titans, right? Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that division could be won by a team with 500 or worse record. Can we call any division the disgrace division before the middle point of the season? Let's get to week eight. Let's get past the last two Wembley games and then we'll make that call. Maybe not call it the disgrace. Maybe we'll come up with a new name, but let us know what you think it is. AFC disgrace sounds so good. Ollie, we've already run quite long, so why don't you just throw whatever you were going to mention at the end into the mix and maybe I'll cut it out, maybe I won't. Favourite Tarantino movie? Now, this is really tough. The reason we're talking about this is because my wife has never seen Pulp Fiction. This is madness. Disgraceful. And I'm sorry. I t- I She's take- the AFC South. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I mean, we haven't christened it yeah. like that first. Also, you're just comparing my wife to that division <laughs> is not on. You can say many, many things about my wife, but not that. No, she's more... Uh, no, no, just carry on. Please I, don't. I don't yeah, yeah, let's, let's not go any further on that one. Love you, Sarah. Uh, and you claimed that Pulp Fiction is in your top ten movies of all time. I think it is. It's up there with uh, Transformers the movie, uh, <laughs> the the animated version, 1986, uh, which also has Orson Welles and Leonard Nimoy in it. The Power Rangers the movie. Oh, uh, f*** <laughs> off with your Power Rangers the oh, movie. Don't stop making me do extra work. I don't know what my exact favourite movies or best movies are, but... I really think Pulp Fiction's got to be up there. It's a fantastic film. Pulp Fiction is not in my top ten films of all time. Whoa. I do not believe that. Um, I don't know. I, I'd have to formulate it. I could come back to you next week with my top ten films of all time. I don't want to know. I can really. tell you that Jaws will be in there. Really? I can tell it's you. Too scary for me. Jaws might be number one. <gasps> Your favourite movie of all time? Jaws might Jaws. be my favourite film of all time. Uh, I would go with. I prefer Reservoir Dogs to Pulp Fiction. I think Jackie Brown is in the mix for me as well. Jackie it is Brown really is underrated. I also really liked Django Unchained, and I like Kill Bill as well. In fact, everything other than Death Proof and Inglorious Bastards, which I'd never bother watching again, I, I kind of like all the Tarantino. You see, Inglorious Bastards had some great moments. I think, Pop but the ending just ruined it. I think Pulp Fiction is just very watchable. Like you could, yeah, it could be on TV, and you could join it at any point, and you could just watch it. But it's I, so there are 90s other ones I as well. It's so iconic. All right, I'll let you be. Th- tell us on Twitter at Gridiron what your favourite Tarantino movie is. Stop. T- in fact, it would be hilarious because the guys involved in the magazine who won't have got to this point in the podcast yet will uh, will yeah. be listening to it and go, "Why? What? What's this got to do with the NFL? Ridiculous!" Uh, so, thank you very much for listening. As always, uh, we've got a Wembley game next week, so we'll be speaking with Jags and Bills players in our two podcasts next week. The Bills coming over nice and early in the week. Jags coming over on the Friday, and then on the following week we will have our look back at that Wembley game. Now, Ollie, for the true time, anything more you'd like to add? Nope. Anything you'd like to add? Uh, just a warning that next week's show will probably be out Wednesday morning rather than Tuesday morning. We're going to be recording probably Tuesday night rather than Monday night because Monday is my birthday. Oh, really? 
Oh, happy birthday. Thanks for knowing. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. I don't I know. Assume my presence in the post. Do you know what? I forgot my niece's birthday this week. Wow, that's bad. Yeah, really I, I bad. can accept you forgetting my birthday. I think Sunday night we might do the Hippodrome for drinks, for birthday drinks, if you fancy it. Oh, yeah, I might do, might do. Let's do it. Are you doing anything Monday? Uh, Big mo- party? Monday, I think uh, me and Sarah are just going for a nice meal. I'm not invited then, or? Oh, well, you can make it a three if we want. Again, not in that way. My girlfriend is not the AFC South of women. And she's not your girlfriend. My wife is not the AFC. <laughs> Damn it. Are you going out with your girlfriend? <laughs> what will your wife say? Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. This has been The Gridiron Show.